one verse conveys the most vital information God would ever communicate. It sums up the entire Bible, and you've known it by heart since childhood. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at John 3.16 and how it reflects the many facets of God's love. You'll never look at this verse the same way again. Here's David to introduce today's message, The Word's Greatest Text. So we said yesterday, if you had to vote on what's the most famous verse of the Bible, which one would it be? And I would say about 90% of us would say it's John 3.16. It's the great verse that gives you the gospel as simply as possible. It is a profound verse. Whole books have been written about this one verse. Uh, Some of the greatest sermons in history have been preached on John 3.16. I've preached on it several times. And every time I uh, try to wrap my arms around John 3.16, I feel so inadequate. It is the record of the greatest transaction that ever took place and will take place, John 3.16. We'll get to it in just a few moments. But first, uh, during the month of June, we're making available to all of you who can help us uh, in this great ingathering that we try to do during the month of June to bring as many funds together as possible. This is the end of our fiscal year, and we want to finish with great strength. And when you give and uh, you sacrificially give your resources to this ministry, we turn them around into positive ways of teaching the Word of God, into dramatic presentations and teachings and radio time and television time and uh, internet information, and we need your help to continue to expand, and the world never needed these words more than they do now. So when you send your gift this month, it's special, and we want to make a special response to your gift by sending you Living the 66 Books of the Bible, a 287-page hardcover book that will help you understand why every single book of the Bible has a profound message for your life. And whether it's little or much, be sure when you send your gift to ask for your copy of this resource. We'll be so thankful. Now, let's get started with part one of the Word's greatest text, John 3.16. I would venture to say that the verse we are going to look at is the most familiar verse in all of the Bible to people of our day. It's usually the first verse that everybody learns if they ever memorize a verse of Scripture. And it's one that you know well. It's John chapter 3 and verse 16. We can't always spend a whole message on one verse, but this is one verse that you cannot pass over. It's almost too difficult to go through it even, but you can't avoid it. It is one of the great texts in all of the Bible, John 3:16. Now, most of you know it by heart. And if you don't, you have your Bibles open now to the third chapter. Let's just repeat it out loud together, shall we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. The historian by the name of Pliny once said that he had seen the entire Iliad of Homer written in so small a character that it could be stuffed into a nutshell. Later on, a man by the name of Peter Bales was able to take the entire Bible and write it in letters so small that it could not be seen very well with the naked eye, but he got the entire Bible on a sheet of paper so small that they could put it in a walnut shell, the entire Word of God. 
It's overwhelming to us what we can do by taking great volumes of information and condensing them down into small places. There's a sense in which the verse that we are discussing today reaches back past the historian Pliny and beyond any of the things we can dream of in the computer world and condenses all of the most important message that God would ever communicate to us in the space of just one verse. John 3.16 is the gist of the whole Bible wrapped up in a few words. Men and women, if all of the Bible were to be lost, to be destroyed, if the New Testament and the Old Testament alike were to be totally taken from us and we had left but John 3.16, there is more than enough information in that verse for the entire world to be converted. It tells us in one verse more about God and his plan for this world than any other verse of Scripture in the Bible. It is God's plan of redemption wrapped up in just a few words. All of the deep and marvelous truths of the gospel are condensed in the words of John 3.16. Someone has said that we ought to read the verse this way. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest love, the world, the greatest company that he gave, the greatest gift, the only begotten son, the greatest son, that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity, in him the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. This is a great verse. It tells us about God's wonderful love for each and every one of us. In fact, when I was growing up, I remember hearing an evangelist who preached on John 3.16 and pointed out to us that not only was the gospel contained in the message of the verse, but the word gospel was contained in the very verse itself. And then he asked us to look at our Bibles, and he pointed this out to us, that the G of gospel is in the word God, for God. So loved the world that he gave his only, there's the letter O, G-O, son, there's the letter S, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, there's the letter P, but have everlasting life, there's the letter E, and life is the letter L. And you can go right through the verse, God, only, Son, perish, everlasting life, and it spells out the word gospel. And I took a pen then and scratched that in underneath those letters in my Bible so I would never forget that John 3.16 is the gospel, pure and simple, so very easy to understand and yet so unfathomable that it's very difficult for us to comprehend what's written in these words. Martin Luther said John 3.16 was the heart of the Bible and the gospel in miniature. And G. Campbell Morgan said that this was a verse of Scripture that he had never attempted to preach on in all of his years of great preaching. He said, I have gone around it and around it, but it has always been too big for me to tackle. When I have read it, he said, there is nothing else to say. If we only knew how to read it, we would produce a sense in the ears of our people so that there would be nothing left to preach about. So said G. Campbell Morgan. And I know one preacher that studied John 3.16 for so many years and so intensely that by the end of his time he had over 600 different outlines on that one verse of Scripture. All great men have had their texts, but this text is every man's text. It is probably, without doubt, the greatest verse in all of the Bible. Now, Paul was praying for the Ephesians that they might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love for us. 
And there's a sense in which John 3.16 is the answer to Paul's prayer. For in John 3.16, we see the breadth of God's love. John 3.16 says, God so loved the whole world, and it's literally stretching out the arms of God to include everyone. And we see the length of God's love. He went to such lengths that he gave his only son to this world. And we see the depth of God's love, that whosoever believeth in him, God reaches down to the very depths of mankind, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the height of God's love. The width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God, all wrapped up in John 3.16. There is probably no verse of Scripture in the Bible that has been explained so much as has John 3.16. And yet there is no verse that can be explained so little. Most young preachers, when they first start out preaching the gospel, grab hold of John 3.16 and begin preaching it as often as they can because it's so simple and it's easy to get a hold of. Most older preachers who've been in the ministry for a long time hesitate to deal with John 3.16 because they realize that though it is very simple, it is very profound. And I have to honestly tell you that I preached for 15 years before I ever preached one message on John 3.16 because every time I would come to it, I would think, well, what is there I can say about that? It's so simple. Everybody knows it by heart. What can I add to the truth of that? And sometimes I think we as preachers need to step back from our study for a moment and say, God does not necessarily always want us to come up with some great deep truth about a simple fact. Sometimes he wants us just the best way we know how to stand up and declare that simple fact and repeat it so everyone can understand what he's talking about. But there is no way you can get through John 3 without stopping to take a good long look at the 16th verse. And this verse will encourage our hearts even though we may be Christians because whenever you hear the old story of God's love, It makes a responding note in your heart because you know that God really does love you. Now let's see if we can move through this verse sort of one step at a time. Notice, first of all, that this verse teaches us the love of God is expressive in its action. For God so loved. Now I'm sure we cannot comprehend in our day and age how astounding that truth really was when it was said and when it was written. For in the day when this was written, In the mind of man, then and now, God was considered to be a tyrant driving men to hell. The heathen nations even today try to satisfy or propitiate their God. You see the missionary films and sometimes the National Geographic magazine and you notice medicine men and dancers and witch doctors and wild tribes in all parts of the world. And you realize that those people are practicing their pagan religions with the desire to somehow make God happy with them. And they're always trying to do something to satisfy God because in their minds, the God that they visualize is an angry God and a tyrant God and a God who is waiting to punish all mankind for their evil deeds. And then you read John 3.16 and it just astounds you. God is not a God who is a tyrant, but God is a God who is a God of love. And God so loved the world And no longer do you see man trying to propitiate God and satisfy him, but you see God in his love reaching down to man and dealing with man's sin. Probably the biggest little word in the entire verse is the word so. God so loved. For in this word so are contained all of the agonies of the cross and all of the suffering and agony that Jesus experienced when he walked on this earth. 
In essence, that verse is saying that God loved us, but he loved us in a special way. He so loved us that he did something about that love. Years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to London, England, and while we were there, we visited some of the great churches in that city. It is certainly a city of churches. Christopher Wren has put his stamp upon much architecture throughout London and the great cathedrals that were built there. We visited the St. Paul's Cathedral, and I remember as we left the cathedral that day that in the annex of the cathedral there was a huge statue of Jesus Christ writhing in anguish on the cross and the look of pain on his face and the sweat drops of blood on his body. And underneath that statue there is a plaque that says this, this is how God loved the world. I think sometimes when we think about the love of God, we forget that the love of God was given to us not only in a word but in an action. When God sent Jesus Christ and he was hung there on the cross, that picture of Christ writhing in agony on the cross is God's picture of his love for us. He knew that we were doomed and damned to death because of our sin. And he sent Jesus Christ out of a loving heart to take our place. And when he suffered and died there, he demonstrated his love for you and for me. I cannot help but think of the words of John when he wrote in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And Jeremiah the prophet wrote about it too when he wrote in Jeremiah 31, 3, the words of God being spoken there, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love is expressive in its action. God did not just say, I love you, but God said, I loved you, and then he did something to demonstrate his love. There are no empty words of love in the message of the gospel. Then secondly, we notice in this verse of scripture that the love of God is extraordinary in its choice. Had you or I been given the opportunity to choose an object for our love, we would never have chosen the world. God chose the world. The extraordinary thing is that such a word should fall from a Jewish lip. Here is a man, a Jew, talking about God loving the world. And the ancient Hebrew was the true aristocrat of his day. He did not look at anyone with favor except his fellow Jew. He looked down with proud disdain on every Gentile. But here is a Jew writing these words to tell us that God didn't just love the Jewish people, but he loved everyone, Gentiles, the whole world. Not just one nation. His love is not confined to Palestine. It's not just the good people. He didn't just love a certain kind of character. He loved the lovable and the unlovable. He loved those who know God and who don't know anything at all about God. And he loved them from every tribe and nation in the entire globe, the world of sinful men. Now, one of the things that I find difficult to explain to people when I preach or teach on this verse is that God loved the world and that that includes them. You see, we have two different kinds of love that we know. Let me see if I can illustrate. I think I'm a great patriot. I love the United States of America. I'm glad I was born here. I'm excited about what it means to be an American citizen and all the freedoms that we have. And I can literally say to you with all of my heart that I love America, but I love my daughter. I have to confess to you that the way I love is a whole lot different than the way I love the United States of America. But when God says that he loves the world, 
It is possible for God to love the world and yet at the same time love every individual in the world in the same intimate, personal way that I love my daughter. Now, the astounding thing to me, folks, is this. If you can get a hold of this illustration, that when the Bible says that God loves the world, it does not differentiate at all between the two kind of loves that I've expressed. God loves each individual in the world as if they were the only person in the world. And St. Augustine has put it this way. He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us to love. And so when the Bible says that God loves the world, it literally means that God loves you as if you were the only person on this earth. That's why we can say this is the greatest expression of the love of God any place in the Bible. God loved the world. Now notice thirdly that this love of God is expensive in its sacrifice. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a love that has been demonstrated by the gift of an expensive gift to the world. God looked around heaven for the most extravagant thing he could do to demonstrate his love for lost mankind. And he put his finger on the shoulder of his son and he sent his only begotten son into this world to pay the price for our sin and to demonstrate his love. And 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because he sent his only begotten son. And Romans 8, 32 says, He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? We had a little film clip that I had seen to try to illustrate the love of the Father. In this film clip, there's a story of a boy and his dad who have become very close in their relationship. And they lived on a farm out in the outskirts of the town, and they played together, and they worked together, and they spent much time together. The boy was about 10 years of age. And one of the duties of this father was, because they were in a rural area, he was responsible for switching the train that came through that region. That was one of his side jobs. And every day he would have to go out and pull the switch and direct the train where it ought to go, where there was a fork. And the story pictures the father and his son out into the wilderness, and they're playing out in the field, and they're fishing, and all of a sudden they hear the whistle of the train, and so it's time for the father to go and make the switch. And and so he tells his son that he'll be back in a few moments. But in the meantime, his son goes off in the other direction and he gets on the track. And the train is coming down toward the angle where it has to be switched. If the father doesn't pull the switch, the train will plunge off this way into a canyon because it's going too fast to negotiate the turn. And as he looks up and is ready to switch the train, he notices that on the trestle, which is right out in front of the place where the train must go, he sees his little boy walking across the track toward him, and there is absolutely no way for that boy to escape the onrushing train if the father switches the switch in that direction. And you see the agony in the mind of that father as he recognizes the choice that he has to make. Here is a train load of people, of passengers. If he pulls the switch this way, they will all certainly be killed. And here is his only son on the track, and if he pulls the switch the other way, his own son will certainly be killed. And the film stops before you know what happens. And the caption is that we were on the train and God the Father was at the switch and he spared not his own son but freely gave him up for us all. 
In essence, what God did was this. He let his son be killed that we might be saved. That's what it means when it says that this love of God is expressive and expensive in its sacrifice. And then it goes on to say that the love of God is extensive in its offer. Whosoever will may be saved. Richard Baxter, the great preacher, once wrote that he was so glad that God put the word whosoever in that verse because he was such a vile sinner that if John 3.16 said that if Richard Baxter should confess and be saved, he said, I would have known it was some other Richard Baxter. It couldn't possibly have been me. Because he said, I was such a vile sinner that I could not believe that God would ever save me and love me enough to do that. But he said, when I read the word whosoever, I realized that it had to include me for that word includes everybody. I've always liked the story about a man by the name of Mr. Klein who was discouraged and defeated and convinced that he wasn't worth saving and that nobody cared about him and that it wasn't worth living. One night he walked past a church on a Sunday evening when the services were in progress and as the congregation was singing, he caught the strains of a very familiar hymn, the lines of which go like this, Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea, Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. He heard, and he wasn't listening very well, and he thought he heard something that wasn't being sung, and on the basis of that, he went in. For you see, when he heard the congregation singing the words, Jesus died for all mankind, he thought they sang, Jesus died for old man Klein, which was his name. And that verse in that hymn became so apparent to him that this gospel was meant for him that he went in and he was saved. And sometimes when I've been talking with people about the love of God, I've liked to bring them to this verse of Scripture and, and ask them to insert their name in the verse. For God so loved David Jeremiah that he gave his only begotten son that if David Jeremiah would believe, he could be saved. It's awful difficult for us to confine the world down to where we are, and yet it's critical for us to understand that if God loved the world, he loved us, and that love is for us. We're a part of the whosoever. Then notice, fifthly, that God's love is exclusive in its bestowment. It says that God loved the world, but it also says that only that love is extended to those who believe in him. Whosoever believeth in him. The love of God is extended to the whole world, but it only is focused in upon those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And it's very succinctly put in the 18th verse of the third chapter where we read, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. There are two kinds of people in the world as it relates to the love of God, those who have believed in Jesus Christ and those who have not believed. And the Bible says that those who believe get the love of God in their own lives. And those who don't believe, that love of God is not efficient in their lives. So while it is true to say that God loves everybody, it is not true to say that everybody receives that love unless they accept it by believing. And the question then becomes, have you accepted it? Have you received God's wonderful love? The Bible says, He so loved you, and I like that little word, so, He so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son. I have just returned from um, Ohio where I had the privilege of participating in the marriage of my first grandson. And I have to ask you this question. You think about this in your own life. What would you give up your first grandson for? Who would you give him up for? And I can't comprehend anything that comes close to the good answer. 
But here's what you need to know. Almighty God gave up his son for you. He sent him to this earth to suffer, go to the cross and pay the penalty of sin that you deserved, that I deserved. And he offers to us the free gift of eternal life. If we will just pray and ask him to come into our lives, forgive us and give us this wonderful gift. I hope you will do that. This is a great place to be. John three sixteen. Let him come into your life so that you will never perish. And if you're a Christian, I, I hope you will take the opportunity today to help us. This is the giving month of Turning Point because it's the end of the fiscal year. We need your help. We want you to invest in what we're doing because we believe it's so important. It's making such a difference in so many people's lives. We're touching people all over the world. And it's because of your faithfulness that we're able to do it. Let's finish strong. And uh, for your gift this month, we want to send you a very unique and special gift. It's called Living the 66 Books of the Bible, 287-page hardcover book. Ask for it when you send your gift. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Word, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. One modern English Bible translation renders Proverbs 13.11 this way. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
That's a good way of expressing how progress is made in life, little by little. In today's world of instant everything, we tend to want it all right now. But life doesn't work that way. What are you trying to make progress in? A relationship? Taking a bad habit? Learning a musical instrument or growing closer to God? Well, if you will accept how God has designed life to work and pursue your progress little by little, and don't be impatient, you will get there. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of progress on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.